Welcome to the Remembering Ethan podcast. I'm Chris Tafoya. My guest today is Jason Johnson. Jason is a guitar player who's active in the Phoenix music scene. And although he and Ethan weren't in a band together, they did perform together and also worked on some studio sessions as well. I knew of Jason back when I lived in Phoenix, and I knew that he and Ethan were good friends, although we were never formally introduced. So this was our first talk with each other. Jason was uh, very willing and gracious to sit down and talk with me about Ethan. So here's our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Jason. Yes. Hi, Chris. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Yeah. I heard your name a bunch in Phoenix. Um, when I was living there, you know, I left in 2010, but like a lot of the guys who I've spoken to who I kind of knew peripherally or we knew of each other, it's like when you're when you're jamming, you just don't get around to meeting the other musicians in town, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But uh Ethan talked about you a lot and um I know that you were good buds with him, so I, I really look forward to talking to you today. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah, I appreciate it. Absolutely. He was a, he was a big impact on me and my, uh, my time here in the Valley. Yeah. Before we get into Ethan, um, can tell me a little bit about yourself. Like, I know that you're a guitar player, but um, what is it that you do musically? Uh, so, yeah, a primarily guitar player. I try to, you know noodle on uh bass and uh piano for uh home recordings <laughs> but i definitely don't consider myself uh proficient on those uh, uh mostly you know guitar um mostly electric guitar lead guitar i guess um do some slide guitar as well like open tuning slides so um yeah i've played uh played in a couple bands here in town um still currently playing with uh them uh, have been for a while um and uh yeah happened to work at uh at fender musical instruments too doing payroll which is completely not <laughs> musical uh, right. but uh, uh it's kind of a left brain right brain sort of thing um that seems to work for me pretty well um so yeah have played guitar a long time came to Came to Phoenix 20 years ago, I think this week. So to oh, wow. late late 2002 is when I arrived. And oh, uh, yeah. yeah, that kind of segues into <laughs> how I met Ethan, I guess, too. Sure. It's, and where are you from originally? So I grew up early on in North Dakota, uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota. And then uh, when I was 13, we moved to the suburbs of Minneapolis and I lived there uh, from 13 to 26 and was living in uh, uptown Minneapolis uh, in the late 90s when Prince was a big deal. And you could be at a bar seeing a band and Prince shows up and is, you know, 10 feet away from you checking out the band, too. Or you could go see Prince in the middle of the night uh, at two in the morning. I've seen him a couple times in front of wow. 250 people or whatever at uh, uh at Paisley Park so yeah it was pretty crazy it was a, it was I still say there was really like no better place to live in the late 90s for music um than Minneapolis it was just unbelievable the music scene was awesome 
Well, you answered the question in my head because as soon as you said Minneapolis, I I was going to say, did you ever see Prince around town? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I did. It was really, yeah, it was an electric, uh, electric time there. It was really cool. Yeah, I bet. Very cool. All right, man. So, um, yeah, so you moved to Phoenix uh, very close to around the time I did. I moved there August 2000. Okay. Met Ethan in 2003. So, uh, you had kind of started earlier to talk about how you met him. So do you remember specifically how you met him? Absolutely. I still remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just 2003 uh, when I met him, probably first couple months of the year. And uh, when I moved here, it was under the pretense. I had a friend who had moved down here uh, pre- prior to me being here and was doing well on the radio. And he wanted me to move down. And um, we had played in a band together in Minnesota and he's like, hey, move down. We'll start the band again. I've got connections with the radio station. We'll get some events and such. And I was like, great, you know, start getting musicians together ahead of time so that when I get there, we can just start rehearsing and like hit the ground running, you know. And so I showed up and, of course, there was no band yet, <laughs> nothing, no auditions. Nobody had been put together. And so when I got here, you know, my buddy's like, oh, well, well I've got some guys to come over to audition. Well, he had put an ad in or something and. Right. I, I don't even know where what uh, city pages or um, new times, I guess it's called. I still call it city pages, which is the Minneapolis version. Um, but um, yeah, I got here and uh, we had these guys come over and no offense if they're still out there. But this guy was just not a very good bass player. And uh, that's not Ethan. Uh, and uh, I was really discouraged I, to the point where I was like, should I just pack it up and go back home? I had thought I was walking into a situation where there's going to be a band and we're going to be doing something. And I left a great music scene and friends and, you know, had things I was doing there musically. And uh, sure. so I was pretty discouraged. Well, then he said, all right, well, I got this guy that plays guitar that I met. Um, and I thought, all right, well, we weren't really looking to add another guitar player. Let's get a band with keys and horns and let I can play guitar, you know? Yeah. And anyway, so got out this other guitar player who happened to be Scotty Pearson, who turned out to be a gem and such a great guy. And um, he's still around playing a lot. Um, and uh, he happened to just say, hey, I know these guys through ASU Music School and I'll start putting a band together to fill in all these empty spaces. And we had a rehearsal. These guys came over and Ethan was that bass player. And I couldn't believe the guy was playing upside down which was cool because one of my favorite bass players is Sonny Thompson who used to play with uh, Prince but now plays with Corey Wong and also plays that same way it's basically a a right-handed strung guitar or bass and he flips it over and plays it upside down so I thought it was just cool that that's how he played then I heard him play and I was like oh my gosh I'm this is great okay I felt like this town does have musicians that are, you know, great. Not realizing that Ethan was, you know, as I came to find out years later, he was one of the best, you know? Um, And so he was the second, I guess, bass player that I had jammed with the first guy Mm -hmm. being the one that didn't turn out so well. Um, And then I thought, Oh, well, okay. They're like this guy in this town. It's going to be great. Well, I didn't realize yet, you know, he's kind of a diamond in in the rough kind of thing. So. Right. Um, yeah, we we rehearsed in this band and for years to come, Ethan and I would always talk about it was the greatest band that never played a gig 
because we ended up, you know, doing six, seven rehearsals. It was like an every Sunday rehearsal thing when those guys were done with their church gigs or whatever they had. And then uh, we ended up never playing any events. Uh, those guys got frustrated, I think, and were like, hey, I got to get busy with this or that. And it just never happened. The band ended up going on to become the Chris Parker Project, which did end up playing quite a bit. But the early days of that were a lot of great rehearsals with great musicians, but the events didn't come in as quickly as were promised to that level of, you know, those level of musicians. And so uh, I think a lot of them walked, but Ethan and I kind of, uh, you know, stayed in touch and uh, I had other gigs that uh, we just crossed paths a lot on. And uh, I joined a band called uh, Sean Johnson and the Foundation. Uh, shortly thereafter, this other band didn't really take off, just luckily by chance. And um, that's when I really reconnected with Ethan, uh, walked into a place that he was playing. It was actually uh, Tate, um, where they played with uh, Tony King, of course, and Alan Chadwick. And uh, and uh, that was it was fantastic. Uh, uh, walking into the upper deck and Ethan saw Sean and I, and he's like, you know, as Ethan always does, encourages, hey, you guys got to sit in, man. You got you to gotta come and sit in. And I was like, all right. So sat in, played really well. And Ethan was like, man, you've really come out of your shell. And I, I remember how much that comment of him telling me that affected me positively because I, when I got here, I was, you know, kind of, I guess, just trying to be the role player in the band and play the songs as the guitar player and not, I guess, be a, guitar shredder or lack for lack for a better way to put it I don't know just less jammy and more song oriented when I first got here but then as I got into this other band my role was to kind of be the guy who had to play a bunch of solos and be the, the guy who jammed a lot I guess sure. and uh, yeah he was just really encouraging after that night after I sat in and kind of approached guitar that way he was like man that's you didn't play like that before. And, you know, I just remember how much that stuck with me um, for a long time, how encouraging um, that made me feel like, Hey, he noticed and uh, he gave me positive feedback. And yeah, he honestly probably has no idea uh, all those years. He didn't have any idea how much that was important to me. You know? Well, it's a common thread from uh, through a lot of people that I'm talking to about things that Ethan said to them that gave them uh, courage or encouraged them or made them proud of what they were doing or, you know, willing to take some more risks. And his, his words, they had weight, man, you know, and um, absolutely, he may have known it or may not have known it. But yeah, he, he was real good at that. So, so that first um, thing that you guys rehearsed for kind of fell through. Did you ever end up putting a project together with them? Not, not like a project that we performed regularly. Um, a few years later, um, I, he subbed with Sean Johnson and the foundation uh, one, one weekend at Rulabula down on Mill Avenue. Um, things were going really well with the band at that time. It shows were always packed down there and um, we kind of had a regular once a month weekend kind of thing and we needed a bass player to cover. And I remember he covered and I, I gave him, uh, <laughs> I still laugh about this. I gave him some, you know, some 
live, you know, songs of us and said, you know, learn these and, you know, you'll get ideas of how we stretch songs out and, you know, we make a five song, 15 minutes or whatever. Right. And so he learned some of the stuff, even some endings. And they were, there was one song in particular that we used to do an ending a certain way and we didn't do it that way anymore, but he, he went on to play the ending after we had already ended and everybody in the band turned and looked like, how do you know that? And then, you know, I was like, Oh, sorry, Ethan, I forgot to tell you, we don't do it that way anymore, but it was just a testament to he put in the time to make sure that he could rock the the show on short notice. And uh, I still remember he had a, he had a little pedal board or something that gig, um, uh, like a little multi-effects thing, which I don't think he used on bass very often, but when playing with us, I guess maybe he thought that would be fun. And he had a beer on a ledge above it and it fell. And, you know, um, he basically doused his, uh, his pedals. So his pay for the weekend probably went to basically replace that. Cause I think it, oh, it's short circuited. Yeah. I felt oh, so bad. I was like, Oh, you kidding. You know? Yeah. But um, but yeah, other than like um, other than that, uh, we played uh, years later. Um, he he was working on uh, Ashley Norton's um, EP, and I think he had maybe suggested to her, hey, because they were work, you know, in Delcoa, and I was just in a different band. So I think it was one of those things where if she's going to do an EP, you know, work with some other people so you get different uh, flavors than always using the people you're already in a band with. Um, and so I got involved to, you know, play on some of those tracks and then, you know, kind of help uh, work with her and him, you know, arranging and coming up with some ideas production wise and stuff. And I think that was her, I think that was her first EP that she put out a while back. So worked with him on that because he was obviously heavily involved in that and then um uh jay allen had uh also a scenario where shortly thereafter um delcoa was kind of winding down and jay was going to do a solo album and so jay had worked it out to have some studio time um uh down in tucson so where we would have a studio for uh like Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever. And so we went down, Tony King and um, Ethan, and I was playing lead and uh, Jay Allen on acoustic and vocal and writing the tunes. And we we're going to do like a five song. We were trying to knock out five songs. Um, and uh, uh, we went down there and uh, uh, we had Ted on keys and uh, we recorded, you know, for a few days and just uh had a great time hanging out um i still have a bunch of pictures from that recording session of all hanging out too and i definitely revisited those uh around the time that you know ethan was ill and then especially you know as well when he passed and it was hard to see those pictures but it's still I, there were times where i had you know tears rolling down my face but i was laughing because there were some pictures uh -huh. in there he's you know he's just he's he's ethan he's just funny and I was like, you know, crying at the same time, knowing this guy, you know, just passed away. But I was still laughing because I was like, he still made me laugh. He still touched me and and moved me in a way of a musician and a buddy and um, an encourager. I mean, that's the, the word I always go back to with him is that he was so encouraging of people 
and po the positivity and yeah he would critique stuff but it was never it was never it never felt negative it was always trying to find the stuff that's positive to cause a critique to be to make something better and um hey we can do this better let's take it again you know i mean just the way he approached um being critical was always in a very positive way and uh i think that's something that I try to remember sometimes too. Is, uh, sometimes it's like, well, I just want to be blunt and say that wasn't good. Don't hit that note or don't do that. But um, right. I think he he had a he just had a way about him to say, you know, hey, what what if this or hey, we can do this better. You know, um, it was always a positive team. Let's go kind of feeling, and that uh, I think that went a long way. Well, that leads me to my next question, because, uh, you know, one of the things I'm always curious about when I talk to people is, you know, what types of things they took away from being around Ethan, because I've, I've got things, I mean, that I still use when I perform live or even in the studio, um, just from performing with them and being around them. And, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, the ability to be positive about or to give constructive criticism in a way that doesn't come across as crass or you know, uh, offend anyone, but, um, can you think of any other, like, I don't know if you could call them life lessons, music lessons, but just this thing that stuck with you from being around, from knowing them for so long. Yeah. I think, you know, make the best out of everything you got. Um, never, you know, never really judge a gig before you start playing it. Um, yeah. one that come, one that comes to mind in, in particular is just a few days before, a few of us were supposed to pay, play a you know a wedding in a backyard in uh, Paradise Valley, nice house kind of you know movie like something you'd see in a movie, a big pool, and they did the whole wedding and ceremony, everything in the backyard, and it's all decked out with cool lights, and they're gonna have the band play, and um, something happened where a Jay Allen couldn't do the gig. It got um, uh, filled in at the uh, last couple days moments noticed by Justin Stewart from Rose Colored Eyes. Ethan was on already on base, but on base. And then Jeff uh, Joas and I um, were going to play it as well. And uh, Gail Lichtenstein um, as well. And it was just weird because we didn't rehearse. We didn't really know what was going to happen. And I was like, oh, man, you know, we're, this is a, a wedding. They're paying well for this. Like, oh, boy. And Ethan just took <laughs> Ethan just took over. It was like, guys, you know, this Stones tune. Here's the chords. Boom. OK, that killed. All right. Next this. All right. These chords. Boom. And he's calling out changes. And he just he took charge. And it was all within a couple songs. I was like, this is this is not going to be a problem. This is going to be great. And all throughout the night, he just, you know, entertained and talked to the crowd and he knew he had to be that glue and that, um, you know, that captain that day. Cause the rest of us were all like, Oh, you know, we've never done this all, all as this lineup. What's this going to be like? Right. And uh, you know, the party got loose, everybody's dancing, having a good time. You know, th they, the, they were requesting at one point later on for us to play Black Sabbath, which was kind of weird, you know, at a wedding, right? And, right. Uh, huh. and this, you know, was, like I said, in a very posh, nice neighborhood in Paradise Valley. And uh, so we decided we're going to try to pull off War Pigs. And so, I don't know, eight, nine o'clock at night, we're 
trying to rip through war pigs. And we did, and we fumbled through it, got through it pretty well, probably, probably considering. And uh, playing the next song, the next thing you know, walking right up by Ethan by the house are a couple of uh, Paradise Valley's finest uh, police officers. Oh, and sure. <laughs> he couldn't see them. They're right behind him. We're set up on the patio and I could see them. And I'm trying to, you know, give big eyes to Ethan, like, hey, and trying to get his attention and then pointing behind him. And he finally turns around and he sees the, oh, here's the police. And it was one of those uh, times I think he was going in, uh, going through his famous medley of, you know, 40 pop hits that all use the same, you know, four chord progression. <laughs> and uh, he turned it into bad boys, bad boys, what you're going to do. Um, the, you know, the theme from cops and the cops started laughing. The crowd started laughing. And it was just one of those moments where it was like, it was great. You know, we got done playing the tune. They were like, yeah, we heard they got a little loud and we're like, yeah, well, we just played some Black Sabbath. So that's probably what did it. Um, But again, uh, you know, all things summing up my rambling is just never judge something before that. Because going into it, I was, you know, apprehensive, like, oh, this is going to be rough or this is... No, he went into it with the attitude, hey, we're going to have fun. And that's yeah. what changed everything. And thank thank goodness for him having that attitude in situations like that, because it helped pull people like me who came into it being a bit pessimistic, um, in all honesty, with him having so much optimism and saying, no, we're having fun. This is a wedding. We're going to play songs. People are going to love us. It just, it's, infe- <laughs> it's infectious when someone's like that. And I needed that because... Uh, you know, I was walking into an uncomfortable, what I felt was going to be an uncomfortable situation. Uh, but it turned out to be amazing. Uh, something that the rest of us still say, you remember that wedding that we played? We played Black Sabbath and Ethan kicked, <laughs> Ethan kicked into the bad boys when the cops showed up and they thought it was great. And uh, it was just, uh, yeah, just no one else could, do, no one else could do that stuff. It just, just any wasn't ever like he was trying it was just it was like well yeah what am I gonna do I'm gonna kick into the uh the cops thing (laughs) (laughs) man what a great story and and yeah that's a that's a the epitome of Ethan's energy yeah you know and um you know I I've shared with some other people that Ethan was my first organized uh group Ethan and Tony we did the Christofoya band and I was still pretty green. Um, but just like you mentioned, you know, the theme of encouragement. I mean, I brought these songs that I had kind of written from my teen years into my mid-20s. You know, I bring them to Ethan and he kind of helped me, you know, shape them and and was real encouraging and like, oh, that's a that's a great song, man. You know, you could use a bridge here and you know, and um it just yeah, he always went into it like, oh, they're gonna love us, we're gonna be great. And that was one of the things that stuck with me as well. You know, I just, and like you said earlier, again, you know, it just makes such a difference in a person's life. I mean, it's just like when a teacher tells you, wow, that's a great picture you just drew. And then that person becomes like a graphic artist or something like that, you know? Yeah. I mean, the seeds he planted and so many musicians that just grew and blossomed and, and just became amazing is um, countless. I mean, I just, I, I'm hearing it over and over with everyone I talk to you know? Yeah. And that, yeah. And that fearless sort of approach to, to gigs like that, not only fearless, but like optimistic, you're right. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. It's just, um, 
I mean, I left that gig dry. I still think, you know, driving home from that gig, I was probably like, that was awesome. And on the way there, I'm like, Oh, I hope this goes by fast, you know, whatnot. And Oh, once I left, it was like, that was so much fun. I mean, it really was a joy to, uh, to play with him. And, you know, I never played in a group with him other than, you know, when we were rehearsing or uh, for the band that never played and then, um, you know, studio, studio stuff. And then otherwise it was subbing. He and I would end up on the same gig. A lot of them with Jay Allen because uh, he had played in Delco with Jay. And then I've gone on to play with Jay and uh, we had a band called Nameless Prophets. And then now we have, the uncommon good that Jay and I play in. So there were a lot of times that Ethan would be, you know, a sub when possible. Um, so he has subbed in, you know, some of those groups over the years as well, or, um, you know, other things um, that we've just ended up being maybe subs at the same time um, or trying to catch each other uh, when, when possible. But as you know, he played eight days a week, so it wasn't, very often that he could come out and see other people play. I do distinctly remember, um, I don't know, I think it was probably about five or six years ago now, we played at the Scottsdale Center for the Arts, which was kind of a big deal for us. You know, one of those things you have to sell tickets, uh, you know, and they have the whole whole theater's yours all night. And that was a big deal. And I remember he came and that was really, really cool uh, seeing him afterwards and not knowing that he was there, obviously, while we performed, but, um, to see him afterwards and knowing that, you know, that took a guy like him to purposefully not book himself on a night that we had been promoting as, as a big event for us. So I thought that was really cool that, uh, that he was there and then we got to hang out afterwards as well. And that, yeah, that is cool that, it, yeah, anytime Ethan would show up to, um, you know, my buddy, Randy Cavanaugh and I, uh, I don't know if you ever crossed paths with Randy. But, I know the name. I know the name well, but not. I don't know him personally. Well, he and I had an acoustic duo, and that was uh, that was my main thing for the ten years I lived in Phoenix. I mean, I did the uh, Christofoya band with Ethan and Tony, but after that, uh, we never really materialized a full band. But we realized that we could make a a, sh- a shitload more money just the two of us booking like three hour gigs, you know, and not splitting it. But there were so many times where, um, I, well, I say so many, but maybe a handful of times over, you know, a seven year span where uh, I'd look and I, I'd spot Ethan hiding in the audience, you know, and then as soon as we see him, <laughs> he'd, he'd come out and like do a weird chicken dance or <laughs> something to like <laughs> get, make us crack up, you know, or whatever. So since you guys didn't, um, you know, have any like, solid projects other than just kind of jamming in between the times when you would you know sub with each other that kind of thing did you keep in in touch pretty often or did you like tell oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah there were I mean there were times where we would definitely still hang out or cross paths and um you know with some of these projects I, I I remember I think it was around the time I maybe was working on the EP with Ashley and him it was also leading up to the uh, 2008 election. And uh, I don't, not to be political in any sense, but uh, um, I know, you know, and anybody that knew Ethan at that time was well aware that he was, you know, very uh, pro Obama and very, you know, excited about what was going to happen. And I actually watched the, 
Um, I watched the election that night with him at his house. So he had a little election party over at his house there in Tempe. And I did go down there and, uh, and hang out. And uh, yeah, I, I think distinctly remember he had his jug base, you know, the water, the wash tub base, I guess it's called the no, jug base, but wash tub base. And he was trying to show me how to do that. Um, I, I wasn't any good at it, but um, it was a lot of fun to try. But I just remember being there. And, you know, that was a night that uh, no matter whatever happens since then, that was a night that it really felt like thing, things were changing and Right. There was so much positivity because of that change yeah. um, and whatnot. And I remember, you know, just sharing and how excited he was about that. He was quite out- outspoken about it at that time. Um, yeah. And uh, I loved it. It was it was great. It was a fun energy to be around. And uh, yeah. Um, do you do you remember that uh, Obama bobble bobblehead he had on that huge TV that had a Hawaiian t- shirt on? Oh yeah, I think he had that that night. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna ask if that Obama bobblehead was there because like, I think, so. yeah, yeah, um, he, he was texting. Or gosh, did we even have text back then? I think yeah, I think. I, oh yeah, yeah, yeah it might have been might have been T nine, but <laughs> <it Right>. was, <laughs> right on my flip phone or something or or my yeah. Nokia. But yeah, I remember him texting me that night. He was super super happy and super pumped and i remember going to his house shortly after that and you know i was happy as well and i was watching it at a bar with an ex-girlfriend and and um i went over to his house soon after that and and he had that obama bobblehead and i was like (laughs) where the hell did you get that dude i want one of those (laughs) yeah that living room was so cool man i i was telling uh oh who was i telling oh i freak man i've talked to so many people but i was telling someone that it would have been cool to have like a, a recording device or a camera or some sort in Ethan's living room for all the shenanigans that went down the jam late night. Well, not for everything, right? But for selected, uh, <laughs> for selected get-togethers at his house, you know, where yeah. people just get together and jam or just hang out or just listen to him hold court. Do you remember any? You know, you mentioned earlier about how Ethan was funny and he always made everyone laugh. I mean. Were there, are there any like Ethanisms you remember from over the years that have stuck with you? Like things that he would do to make you laugh? I mean, most of, you know, most of it was just off the cuff for me anyway, that he just always had that when things were serious in the studio, he knew to, you know, be a little silly to just kind of break the ice and just make, keep the mood not so serious so that people were more relaxed. And it just, it was just it was it wasn't so much shtick as it just was him just making comments about things that were funny, um, yeah. you know. Um, you know what he was really good at that I I also asked people about because I remember um, is he would jam with everyone right if he had the time you know yeah but I remember he would play with like like he came he came to rehearsal one time and he had this story about this guy he played with he was all cracked out and. Uh, he and he was never like you said earlier he's never just disrespectful or you know condescending necessarily but the stories that he'd come back with because he played so many gigs because he jammed with so many people you know he'd come back with these just hilarious stories about you know this rapper or this crackhead or this other person (laughs) or someone at a gig who like you know was saying that the gig sucked but everyone was having a good time or 
he was real good at telling stories. That's yeah. Like that big laugh of his, you know. Yeah. And over the years, you know, when I when I first met him, I mean, you know, he was another he was a bass player who's fantastic and he played and stuff. And I just didn't realize until year after year you see and especially once social media picked up where you would see people promoting their gigs or you'd start to realize how many bands and things this guy's involved in. Cause at first, you know, I was new, so I didn't know him. I didn't know of his past and as is when I played with them, I didn't know anything about him. Um, I just thought, wow, this guy's a great bass player and he's really fun. And then one thing that we always connected on is uh, <laughs> metal and Metallica uh, oh, growing yeah. up. Yeah, Same I know man. you. I know you're a big fan. Uh, and that was, you know, big fan, a uh, big influence on me throughout my early and teenage years. And I kind of, you know, went other ways, but in terms of music and tried to branch out to other things, but they still hold a huge place in my heart, not only for their music, but their mantra of, you know, if you believe in yourself, just don't, you know, don't listen to others, keep moving forward kind of you know, attitude. And I've still held on to that, even though I'm not playing metal. Um, but right. uh, yes, we, you know, he would still, um, and I know he became a big Mastodon fan. Yeah. And uh, he would always be like, Jason, you know, Mastodon, that, that's, that's the new Metallica, man. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you gotta listen. And just the way he would, you know, get excited about Mastodon. He's like, you gotta listen to it. You gotta check him out. And I was like, uh, it just, yeah, his, excitement about stuff uh was it was infectious it was it was always fun well i'm glad you brought that up because you know one of the things that i'm always curious about with because there are so many like uh books and bands and uh you know movies and stuff like that that ethan turned me on to and the one thing uh, i will mention about metallica though that that i appreciate with ethan because we bonded over the similarly you know over the metallica he had all those metallica not even DVDs. He had like VHS tapes of Metallica. <laughs> but um, I was I was like being shitty about Load one day, you know, and he goes, hey, man, you know, I think it's great that Metallica decided to do a dark country album. You know, <laughs> have, you, have you ever listened to, you know, uh, the Outlaw Torn or something like that? And oh, yeah. yeah and I go, yeah. Uh, well, you know, I, after <laughs> after it ain't my bitch, I just kind of turned it. He goes, nah, man, you know, I remember in his living room, he put Outlaw Torn on and holy shit, dude. I was yeah. like, oh my God. So he totally got me into load and reload. Nice. You know, but but aside from that, can you can you remember any um because he loved, you know, turning people on to things that he was into, aside from um Bonio and Metallica, the Mastodon stuff, because he turned me on to them as well. Can you remember any other yeah. things that he turned you on to? Um, I mean, a lot of it was because he's a bass player and I became a big fan of funk um, and, you know, guitar is great in funk music, but let's face it, the bass, bass is a lot better. Um, yeah. And as I got older, I'm like, darn, I kind of wish I had played bass. Um, but uh, yeah, we bonded a lot on that kind of stuff, too, because there were you know things we liked about metal, but it was also like, all right, well, you know, we're not. 14 anymore and gonna play in metal bands in our 30s so there were other uh things but yeah um i guess we shared i shared some bands from minneapolis with him that you know he really dug um and stuff that you know he wouldn't have otherwise um heard that weren't like a national thing and uh 
yeah, we bonded on, you know, some of that stuff, I think, uh, as well. Uh, but it always, yeah, it just, and it didn't matter how much time it passed. It was always like, yeah, we're just hanging out yesterday, even though it may have been six months since we last, you know, crossed paths, but, uh, sure. Well, you know, it sounds like you, you know, you guys were great buddies and you spent a lot of time together. And when, you know, when you were around Ethan, what did you notice about the way he treated people in his peripheral, whether it was people he knew or didn't know, especially people he didn't know. What did you notice about his interactions with people? I mean, one thing I definitely can tell is he always purposefully made, like if people are all kind of hanging out, he definitely knew how to make everybody feel inclusive. Um, so if there were people hanging out and maybe a couple people he could tell were not shy, but maybe weren't as like familiar with the rest of the group of people, he would talk to that person or he would crack a joke with that person feeling included. Um, so it was this inclusive kind of uh, positive feeling of trying to get people to feel like they're part of the group, you know, um, yeah. whether that's hanging out on break and there's some people hanging around. He never, he never, made people feel like he was too cool, you know, to hang out. It was more like he wanted more people to hang out is what it always felt like, or he wanted to say hi and whatnot to as many people. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it, it's just something that now, I, I don't know if he <laughs> went to school for it somewhere or what, but it just <laughs> naturally rolled right off of him. And and for as talented as he was as a musician, it, it never changed. His ego never inflated. It was always, I'm just a dude having fun and positive and, yeah. Um, yeah. Man, you know that was one of the things that I was always fascinated me about him. And um, you know, whenever I was around Ethan or spending time with him, there were several times I can remember where I would just sit back and just watch him, you know, and just be like, man, this guy, I mean, he was just, could have been a cult leader, you know? <laughs> yeah. I would just, yeah, I'd just totally. watch him. What was that? I said, totally. Yes. That's yeah. He, he, yeah. He made people want to be a part of whatever he was, a, you know, a part of. Right. Just hanging out. It was, yeah, it was an, just wanted an inclusive. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, you know, speaking of how he treated people he didn't know, you know, what what if you came across someone who didn't know Ethan and they wanted to know something about him? How would you uh, describe him to someone who didn't know him? Uh, I, I mean, from a musician standpoint, obviously extremely talented. Um, and for, just from a you know, person standpoint, I would, you know, I would say a really, you know, fun and positive um driven guy too you know i mean in so many cases i would think about you know he's booking all these shows himself and keeping all of this you know i don't know i i would love to know how many gigs in a week was the most he ever played um and like what did he average a year i i, I have no idea but i'm assuming you know with, with some doubles and some triples he had to have some weeks that were like 12 gigs or 15 gigs i mean there has to be some weeks where he had an insane amount of gigs and to juggle all that and you know not only show up and play but also do the homework that it requires to be 
a player at all of those gigs. And like you mentioned, you know, playing with a rapper to maybe a metal band to a country band to, you know, a top, his top 40 band for a while, whatever it was. Um, he was never the weakest link on stage. I, I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, not at all. No, dude, not a weak link in any way, shape or form. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. It was, um, yeah. You've told some pretty good stories about Ethan, but are there any others swimming in your head? Because that's my favorite, man. It's just Ethan's stories. Yeah. Um, I mean, one that I'm, there's nothing specific about it, but it just, it's important to me that it sure. happened. Um, uh, in 2008, I got really ill towards the end of 2008 and uh, went through a few surgeries and some, you know, life threatening moments. And after about nine months or so after that, getting a little better and uh, still on three hours of IVs a day for some infections, wow. um, a few, a bunch of us were flown to Wisconsin um, to play uh, uh, a birthday party basically in Wisconsin at a ranch. And uh, Ethan was, was playing also. Uh, in another group there and I was playing with uh, with Jay Allen and um, we stayed Ethan and I um, uh, happened to stay at the same uh, Airbnb house I guess and so it was cool that you know there were you know there was probably a year since I had seen him since I kind of um, I kind of removed myself from <laughs> the public while uh, I was dealing with my health issues and um it was great to be able to reconnect with him that, uh, that weekend and just hang out and, uh, have fun. And then, um, you know, six months later, COVID hit and, it, and the world, uh, you know, kind of shut down and I didn't, um, uh, I didn't see him again. Um, that is, uh, that's the last time I remember that I probably saw him because I was still dealing with, <laughs> health issues you know even when I was in Wisconsin and for a while after that so I really wasn't going out I wasn't playing gigs but I did play that one because it was one that we had planned for a long time and I didn't want to miss out on the fun and uh, I was I'm just thankful for that he was there I was there and that we ended up staying at the same place and we got to kind of reconnect on you know a lot of things that uh, I, I hadn't seen him or you know whatnot sure. because I had <laughs> stepped out of the the scene for a while yeah and that was um that was my next question was i was going to ask if you guys remember the last gig you played together and that sounds like um a really cool situation especially to have them all to yourself right because it's that's not often that you get ethan alone and get his undivided attention well there were there were others uh you know kirsten was along and there were other people okay. at the house house too there were um I think about like six or eight of us. It was a house that was split up into like a, a bread, bed and breakfast and it had all oh, been rented okay. out. So, but the fact that we were at the same location, you know, we had to keep going back to the same place and whatnot. And sure. um, to end the night, just kind of hang out on the patio. And yeah. Um, yeah, and I think we did like an all, I don't know, at the end of the, the whole night, I think we did kind of an all band jam up on stage and, ran through a few you know standard um tunes and whatnot and uh yeah it was you know, that was probably the last time i played with him and um the last time i saw him was that weekend for sure 
So was that the last conversation that you had with them that evening? Or did you guys talk uh, maybe once? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, like I said, because of my own health issues, I was sure. really just, I wasn't around. I, you know, my bands weren't playing. I, I wasn't around. Um, and then five, six months later, the, the lockdown happened and then none of us were playing um, right. you know, for the most part. Um, so yeah, that probably, probably was the last time I talked to him. Cool, man. Well, it's, it's so great that you got to spend that time with them. If you could have one more, you know, like one last conversation with them, what do you, what do you think it would be about? Uh, probably, I mean, if I, if I know it's my, my last, it would be to thank him for the encouragement, especially early on when I came to the Valley and I was nervous about, you know, having uprooted myself. Uh, he's a big reason I stayed because oh. the, the fact that he showed up at that rehearsal and he was as good as he was and all these other players were good. Um, that was a big reason. And then running into him not that much later and having him tell me like that I had come out of my shell and how he was really, you know, impressed uh, by, you know, how I was playing and stuff really made, you know, made a difference. Um, to be honest. Yeah. That I would probably thank him more than anything. Uh, just being so cool to, you know, encourage somebody he didn't know, he didn't owe me anything, uh, but he was uh, definitely that. And during some of the, um, during some of the stuff we were working with through Ashley's thing, he was very encouraging and the ideas that I had on guitar and production wise and just different various things. It was always, um, that's a great idea. And I like that, you know, it just made me, made me feel like, you know, uh, the things I was, you know, doing were, were good and keep working. And, um, you know, you can get that thing, you can get that appraise uh, maybe from random people when you play a gig, but there's something, that you know us musicians i think know when you are told those things from somebody who as are as talented as ethan um they they hit home more heavy than somebody you don't know if they are talented or not you know right. uh for lack of a better way to put it it's just it means something when you're like well, dude if he thinks i'm you know doing okay that's uh that's that says a lot because i think he's extremely knowledgeable and you know uh yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it would probably be to thank him uh, just for the encouragement. Um, yeah. Yeah, what a great answer, man, because all of that's true. And, you know, and he did it consistently, you know, yeah. people that I'm talking to. I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to talk to me, man. Um, before I let you go, uh, you know, as I'm sure you know, because you, know, you knew Ethan really well, he was always about bragging about his friends, you know, or things that he thought were cool, like, oh, you got to go see this guy, you got to do this, you got to do that, you know, so in keeping that tradition alive, you know, where, um, do you have any plugs or like, where can people go check you out or any um, social media stuff, websites, anything like that, where people can look into you a little more? Yeah, I mean, I play with, um, uh, I play with Jay Allen in The Uncommon Good. Uh, still and then uh, play with uh, Sean Johnson and I do a duo together um, a lot and then we play as a full band Sean Johnson and the foundation uh, so we still do that a bit too um, so yeah doing those and separately just uh, you know doing home recordings and trying to get better at that kind of stuff as well so I guess those are my two things that I 
perform in still. Uh, but uh, yeah, otherwise just trying to keep keep busy and keep learning, you know. Right on, man. Well, thank you so much for your time, uh, Jason. It was a pleasure meeting you. And uh, I wish that we could have connected back in the day, but Ethan is still bringing people together through this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me and definitely, uh, definitely an amazing person, no doubt. All right, man. Well, you take care and hopefully we'll uh, keep in touch and talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, take care. I always enjoy meeting new people through Ethan and hearing their perspective of their relationships and friendships with him. And this conversation was no exception to that. So I appreciate Jason taking the time to speak with me and uh, really enjoyed our talk. If you'd like to keep up with Jason, he is on Facebook. You can follow him on there and catch him out live sometime. Make sure you join me next week when I'll be speaking with Jay Allen, one of Ethan's closest friends and bandmates. And uh, Jay will be talking with me about the huge impact that Ethan had on his musical life. So please make sure that you join me for that conversation. It's going to be a good one. I'd like to leave you today with a song that Jason wrote called Sadness. This is a song he was working on around the time Ethan got ill and passed away. And he shared with me that he drew some emotional inspiration from that era and put that into his song. So he thought this song would be a good one to share um, since it was created around that time and captured the way that he was feeling. So I've got it here for you and I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for joining and we'll see you soon.